Thanks for checking out this episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Each episode, we'll discuss a movie we like and share some fun trivia. Please like us at facebook.com slash screenfacts. Post your comments or questions. You can also email screenfacts at yahoo.com or tweet at Jason Davis Voice. This podcast is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com for information about voiceover services for commercials, internet and corporate videos, e-learning, phone messages, and more. I'm Jason Davis, and joining me for this episode is my good pal, Eric Wrights. Eric, how are you? Hey, Jason. I'm all right. How are you? Good. You know, um, it's been a little more than a year since we've done an episode of Screen Facts. And I've missed it horribly. I've went into having hippie shakes and stuff, and uh, I'm glad that... (laughs) you decided to bring it back well you know what happened i wanted to do something different so you and i came up with a different podcast right and we were doing that for a little bit and then we realized that was a lot more work than this well you know what and we were pretty (laughs) stupid to not figure that out because we went from you know you had this format where we talk about one movie right and when we went to the ranking things when we talked about the baseball movies i had to watch like eight movies <laughs> just to be able to say i had a pretty good sample of right yeah you know, i could choose from this is always a lot of fun to to pick a movie that we really like and yeah. you know kind of geek out about it a little bit and and find some fun trivia facts about it too and so without any further ado the movie that you and i are going to discuss today on the podcast is the 1984 classic revenge of the nerds and this is very apropos because it is september mm-hmm. and people are going back to school or they're starting school i saw this in the theaters when it came out you know i had just finished my first year of college okay and it, it was just a whole lot of fun when you brought this movie up i was like oh yeah absolutely this is great let's do this one it's just a fun stupid college movie it's kind of like part animal house and part teen movie but it also has a lot of decent there's a moral to it oh absolutely don't judge a book by its cover so watching this movie again to prepare for the podcast it was clear to me that it doesn't really play the same in 2018 as it did in 1984 for a couple of reasons one it's politically Mm -hmm. incorrect very much so big time And then the other thing is that nerds are kind of accepted now. They're not even nerds anymore. They're cool, you know, and they're and they're shaping the future. So you're watching like all these these guys get bullied in the movie. In today's world, the alpha betas would be working for them. Exactly. You know, when you're talking about the uh, political incorrectness, which happens a lot in the movies that we talk about from the 80s. Right. um, One of the biggest things rewatching it that really hit me was what I affectionately call the raping of Betty Child. <laughs> because that's the scene where Lewis is dressed as Darth Vader. Right. And she thinks it's her boyfriend, you know, right. the quarterback. Right. And uh, and it's funny because that quarterback, you know, that that actor, he was in a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, yeah. You know, married with children. Yep, and Ted McGinley. He was in the last couple seasons of uh, Happy Days. And the Love He's, Boat. Yeah, and Love Boat too. Yeah, yep. I barely even remembered anything. The yeah, Love he Boat. he joined anyway, the Love Boat later on, like like toward the end of that series too, as like the ship's photographer or something. Yeah, something weird. Maybe he's just got some bad juju on yes. him that he sh- he shows up to a show and then it goes bad. So Lewis brings her in. They go in the bouncy house or the mm-hmm. fun house or whatever, and you know he performs oral sex on her because he's kept the mask on right i mean obviously he had to take it off at some point but I right guess at that point but she's, she's in ecstasy i guess so she doesn't care <laughs> right but then when he finishes and 
then she's like, hey, you're that nerd. It totally was a hashtag me too moment in the movie for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want my boys doing that. <laughs> God, no. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of why of how different this, you know, the times were when this movie was made. And of course, one of, one of the best lines, most quoted lines that came out of that when, you know, she says, oh, you know, are all nerds as good as you? Yeah. He says, well, jocks just think about sports all day. You know, nerds, we just think about sex. Right. And I was like, wow, yeah, I'm a nerd. That's I'm, all I'm thinking about. I'm sure jocks think about sex all day, too. Who are we kidding here? Yeah, they must. <laughs> so Revenge of the Nerds released August 10th, 1984, mm-hmm. starring Robert Carradine, Anthony Edwards, the great Curtis Armstrong, who is a staple <laughs> of a lot of great uh, 80s comedies, Timothy Bogar. Busfield, yep, and uh, John Goodman in, in one of his first roles, I think. Yeah. The story written by Tim Metcalf, Miguel Tejada Flores, Steve Zacharias, and Jeff Buhai. Screenplay written by Steve Zacharias and Jeff Buhai. Directed by Jeff Canoe. When Canoe was interviewed by the producers, they asked what kind of movie he thought he could make, given the material. And right. he said, uh, one I would be embarrassed to have my name on. <laughs> <laughs> and they hired him immediately. Yeah, I think it's great. They actually went to uh, the University of Arizona mm-hmm. and they got permission to shoot the movie there. But then when they saw the script, they wanted to back out of it. So, you know, uh, Canoe went there and apparently said to them, look, I have kids and I'll just tell you now, I would let them see this movie. It's about the triumph of the underdog. That's true. You know, it's not judging a book by its cover. This is a good movie. And I think he was right. But I could just imagine how horrified, you know, some of like the Board of Regents or whatever must have been when they're doing they're filming like all these panty raids in the middle of the night. <laughs> so since you brought up the panty raid scene, one of the things that Sue and I noticed when we were watching the movie last night mm-hmm. is that um, clearly that that's not the interior of the pie house. Clearly, right. when they're doing the panty raid stuff and they're running through the hallways and all that, they're in like a hotel or something. It was probably just logistically easier to film that scene in like a hotel running through the halls and all that than like in a house mm-hmm. that doesn't actually have a structured hallway and all that. When they're doing the panty raid, you know, a couple of the nerds go up into the attic. Right. And they drill a hole through the ceiling mm-hmm. and they put in this camera. Right. In a girl's room. Right. You're seeing behind her, you know, this big hole getting drilled <laughs> right. in the ceiling, this big camera being lowered down. And you're like, are you kidding? None of them are seeing this. Right. And, and you I know, mean, I'm sorry. I don't care if there's a, quote, built in <laughs> silencer or not. You're going to hear like drywall being cut. I mean, there's right. no way. <laughs> and then like, well, you know, the big hole happens in the wall. And then like, and how come like they don't notice any of the cameras? Because, I mean, I know most of the cameras are up in the attic, but then he put like a periscope in one of them. So the Mm -hmm. periscope has to be extended down into the room, right? Yeah. The the business end of the camera is facing down into the room. Right. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff in the movie. We're not here to shit on the movie, obviously. No, love the movie. Love the movie. Love, like you said, the the underdog winning in the end. Spoiler Mm -hmm. alert. And you know that they didn't have a gigantic budget for this either. I mean, the budget no, was uh, like eight, six million or something. Like eight million is what I read. They must have spent most of the eight million dollar budget on acquiring the rights for all the music. Thriller, oh, yeah. We Are the Champions, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Nah, that's probably public domain. Uh, is my guess. <laughs> I'm trying to think what other. Oh, uh, Burning Down the House by Talking Heads. Oh, that's right. It okay. grossed forty point nine million dollars. So it, you know, it, it made money enough to make three sequels. And the only characters to appear in all the movies are Lewis, his dad, Lamar, and Booger. Now, Lamar, what a great character that guy was. Oh, my God. One of the things that I really was keen on watching was the fraternity games or whatever. 
and then the idea that you know the fraternity <laughs> that wins the Greek games gets to head the Greek council. I mean, right. that's stupid. But, well, it's you know, it's that it makes sense for the story. Well, it does, and you know, and that's the thing. Like this movie has so many great scene after scene after scene, but they all flow together, and they and it actually does make a very cohesive story. And so you can talk about oh, the scene where you know they're having the party. You can talk about the panty raid scene. The end of this movie was great when they're doing like the music scene when they're Poindexter's playing the friggin' electric uh, violin mm -hmm. and he's got the spiked hair. Yeah. That he just looks so great. And then Lewis and Gilbert, they're all devote out. Yeah. You know, wearing the uh, doing the computer things. It's just it was so cool. And as we're watching that, I'm like, man, oh, they really need a guitar. And then boom, there comes Booger. Booger Presley on the mean guitar. And Lamar is doing the dancing and all that. I read but a cool when, fact actually about the uh the violin playing that Poindexter does. Yeah. You know when he's like practicing violin in the house for like the whole movie? Right. Not really playing well and stuff. <laughs> right. He, he's actually practicing what he ends up playing at the end. Oh, really? It's just that he's playing it so slow that it's not really recognizable. But if you pay attention next time you watch it, right. you'll, you'll okay. probably notice that it's... Because he uh, didn't really play violin. No, he's not... The actor's not actually playing. Like, he, he, you know, he did the movement and then they dubbed in, like, a real violinist playing stuff. There's a lot of great stuff that happens during the Olympiad sequence. The way they give Takashi the, the stuff so he doesn't get drunk. And then, of course, uh, the belching contest. Booger's belch. You know what that sound effect actually is? It's a combination of an actual belch and uh -huh. uh, an, a camel orgasming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine having that long an orgasm? <laughs> <laughs> Lucky camel, right? <laughs> uh. You know, one of the other iconic noises in the movie, too, is the, oh. the nerd laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just hurt my throat doing that. Robert Carradine said that when he read the script, Lewis's laugh was described as a goose honk, and he wasn't really <laughs> sure how to make that sound. It turns out that the first scenes that they shot for the movie were, were the scenes where the father drops them off at the college. Right, and James yeah. Cromwell did the laugh, and Carradine just kind of mimicked him. Cromwell's driving home from the set, after the first day of production, and he realized that's how his ex-wife laughed. Oh, so, oh, man. You never know where you're going to get inspiration, I guess. We talk how much we like this movie and that there was actually some real impact. In 2006, the University of Connecticut created a co-ed social fraternity that's not officially affiliated with the Greek life, and they called it Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. Yeah, they wanted to have an organization where everybody's accepted kind of thing which I think is really cool. One of my other favorite scenes in general is when they finally find the house and they start fixing it up. Cause you know, I love old houses. I love, you know, fixing them up and mm -hmm. stuff. And, um, just all the goofy stuff it, you know, it's like a Rocky montage of them just fixing the house up. It just felt like, wow, these guys are really doing something. Oh, you know, what's cool about the song from that scene that yeah. was actually used by Seth MacFarlane in Ted two as an homage to this. There's like a montage in that movie where they use the song too. So that was kind of cool. Oh really? Yeah. There's actually some cool casting things too that I read. Okay. So Curtis Armstrong, who I love him. He's, uh, I actually got his audiobook, revenge of the nerd or, the Singular yeah. Adventures of the Man Who Would Be Booger. <laughs> uh, great, a great autobiography. I got the okay. audiobook because he reads it. 
And so it's really cool to hear him talk about his experiences, you know, with all the movies that he was a part of in the 80s. Right. And he was a part of some pretty popular 80s comedies. So Risky Business, This, right. Better Off Dead, One Crazy Summer. He's super funny in all of them. And then he was on Moonlighting and, and then he mm-hmm. ended up being in the movie Ray with Jamie Foxx. He played Ahmet Erdogan in Ray. I mean, he's a serious actor, like changing Shakespeare and stuff. And when he uh, originally was offered a part, in this, he wanted to read for the Gilbert role. And he said that if they mm-hmm. offer him the role of Booger, they could just fucking forget it. I'm not going to pick my nose on camera for anyone. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he sells it. And now he's kind of embraced the the whole character. Yeah. In addition to the autobiography, he and Robert Carradine hosted a reality mm. show for a couple of seasons on TBS called uh, King of the Nerds, which I'm sorry was right. canceled because it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's totally embraced the role of Booger. So I thought Booger was actually kind of cool. And I was actually thinking about that before. Booger certainly fits in with uh, a group of quote unquote misfits. But he's right. to me, he's not really nerdy. No, I didn't think he was nerdy except for like the whole booger thing i mean it's kind yeah. of gross yeah i yeah. mean he used it to his advantage yeah with the you know, like arm when wrestling he was doing the arm wrestling yeah. and he picked his nose and put it you know yeah. put it in his hand and then the girl <laughs> freaked out and um but yeah i just thought he wore some really cool t-shirts and you know i love t-shirts right. i got all kinds of crazy t-shirts i like the one when they're painting the house and he's trying to get Takashi. He's trying to get him stoned. Mm-hmm. And Takashi is, you know, painting the walls. Uh-huh. And he's like, I feel nothing. I feel <laughs> nothing. And then all of a sudden he passes out and he pulls the paint right. across the wall. Right. Very funny. Yeah. But anyway, the T-shirt that Booger's wearing says, give me head till I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> very, yep. very cool. To me, um, Booger is less a nerd and just more a slob than anything else. Yeah. But he's a great character and, and certainly one of the funnier things in the movie. Yeah. What the fuck are Robster Cross? <laughs> Robster Cross. What the fuck's a frush? Gilbert says, she's not that kind of girl. And Booger says, what, does she have a penis? <laughs> Some great quotes there. And um, one of the other things, too, is that the character of Booger wasn't really fleshed out. They had a basic idea of what he was going to be like, basically just kind of gross and stuff. But... A lot of stuff is improvised. The director just kind of let the actors have fun with this, too. I like that it kind of borrows from a lot of other funny movies. I mentioned before that there's elements of Animal House, but also the scene when the Moose show up at the Triland party. Booger opens the door and they're <laughs> and they're just walking in one after another. And then he starts to close the door and then they more come in and all that. Yeah, yeah. That is right out of Risky Business, oh, which, right. which is another movie that Curtis Armstrong is in, which is very interesting. There's a scene in Risky Business where all of the hookers right. you know, walk in, in in a succession like that. So... Mm-hmm. There were a couple of other casting notes that I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah. Ted McGinley, who plays Stan Gable, you know, the, uh-huh. the lead alpha beta. Uh, right. He actually turned down the role of Ryko in Bachelor Party, which is another classic 80s comedy to be in this movie. Jamie Gertz, Joan Cusack, mm-hmm. and Sarah Jessica Parker all auditioned for the role of Judy, played by Michelle Mayrink. And Mayrink okay. also had a role in um, Real Genius, which is another funny 80s mm-hmm. movie. She was Jordan in that movie. Larry B. Scott, who plays Lamar, showed up for his audition in character with glitter in his hair, and he said that the casting directors just couldn't stop laughing. Uh, the guy that played Poindexter. Timothy Busfield. I remember years later seeing him on 30-something. Mm-hmm. The whole thing with him dancing, just standing still, and then he just starts like yeah. slowly thrusting his pelvis and everything. <laughs> it's, it's great. Apparently, you know, he put together that 
costume. He found that at like a thrift store and he parted his hair on the side mm-hmm. and he put on those thick glasses and he really could not see. So he needed somebody to escort him in right. to uh, meet the producers. And, you know, they took a look <laughs> at him and just like, you're in, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He looks so different in this movie from other parts. Like he was also in um, Field of Dreams. He played uh, Kevin Costner's brother-in-law in Field of Dreams. Oh, right. Who's, yeah. He's trying to get him to sell the farm the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a very different part for him compared to some of the other stuff he's done in his career. Yeah. Yeah. I've read and I was kind of sad that sometime in the 2000s, a remake was being made and it just kind of fell apart. Yeah, it was, um, it was. I think a remake could be really good. They started filming it in Atlanta in 2006. It was supposed to come out in 2007. Okay. It was Fox Atomic Studio was going to put it out, uh, Division okay. of 20th Century Fox. The studio head at the time, Peter Rice, didn't like what he was seeing in the dailies. Okay. And so they, they just kind of scrapped it. Wow. I feel like you can leave certain things be. You know, you don't have to right. try to catch lightning in a bottle all the time. Because like this movie is definitely very much of its time. And right. it's a, you know, the 80s were, I guess, a little bit more innocent or whatever. And this came together because it had all the right ingredients, you know, people who were willing mm-hmm. to, to go for it. Nowadays, they would probably throw more money at it and it would lose a lot of its charm, is my guess. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. I mean, I do think that you could make some sort of new nerds movie with just the technology that's around there. And then, of course, you throw some, uh, some women in there that are geniuses, too and actually see them being part of it. You know, the, the Omega Moos were, you know, they were there and they were, you know, Tri Lamb's partners, but we didn't really get to really know any of the Omega Moos. And I well, think Judy, that would be a cool thing to Gilbert's girlfriend's kind of like, you know, she was very smart. Maybe that's what they would do. Instead of it being a fraternity, it would be a sorority that's being ridiculed or something, you know? Because right. yeah. that seems to be what they do. They take an, uh, you know, a popular 80s movie and then they just put a female spin on it instead, like, like mm-hmm. what they did with Ghostbusters. Yeah. This movie is dumb, but it's a lot of fun. So sophomoric. Yes. Yeah, here we are. Here we are laughing about it. I'm in my 50s. <laughs> yep, exactly. Anytime I rewatch these movies that I enjoyed when I was younger... I'm still kind of seeing them through my younger eyes. Yeah. Well, Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, internet and corporate video, e-learning, phone message, and more. Remember, we want to know what you think. Please like the Facebook page. Leave your comments or questions at facebook.com slash screenfacts. Email screenfacts at yahoo.com or tweet at Jason Davis Voice. I'm Jason Davis. Thanks, Eric Wrights, for joining me for this episode. And thanks to you for listening to the Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast.